0: Pastor Tom Baker, you're listening to Law and Gospel on this, what's today's date? January the 13th, it's not a Friday, it's a Monday, in the year of our Lord, 2020. And we're taking a look for a lesson for the second Sunday after the epiphany. What's the epiphany about? The epiphany is all about that we're taking a look at how does Jesus get revealed by the people in the Old and the New Testament. And for example, if you had seen Jesus in the cradle, you never would have guessed he's the son of God. It took some time for the people to realize that. And when they realized it, That was really something because they began to understand the meaning of Jesus Christ. John the baptizer was being questioned by people from Jerusalem. He denied that he was the Christ, Elijah, or the prophet. He said, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Isaiah 40, verse 3 is what he is quoting then they asked him why are you baptizing if you're not the christ nor elijah nor the prophet and he says i'm baptizing with water but among you stands one you do not know even the one who comes after me the strap of whose sandal i'm not worthy to untie and so john the baptizer at this time doesn't know Jesus, who is his cousin, is also the Messiah. And we learn how he finds that out, beginning with verse 29, which is the text. The next day he, that's John the baptizer, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we're trying to figure out how did he know that Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, first of all, there's quite a bit in the Bible that talks about the Messiah will become like the lamb who was slaughtered to symbolize the taking away of sins. The lamb was taken outside of the camp and when it was sacrificed, it was pointing forward to the Lamb of God, who also would be taken outside of the city of Jerusalem and be sacrificed. How did John know this? We'll find out in a moment. But he says in verse 30, This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. Now, what does that mean, he ranks before me? Well, it actually is a word that can be translated as he was preferred before me, he became before me. John the baptizer here is talking about the pre-existence of Jesus prior to his incarnation as the second person of the Trinity. That's what it means that he was before me. He was ahead of me. It's really talking about that Jesus was first in time compared to John the baptizer. Very important phrase to indicate that John the baptizer believes that he truly is the Messiah. Now verse 31, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. Uh, The King James translation, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. And the word manifest is of course, where we get this idea of the epiphany. In fact, the Greek word is the word for epiphany. What does that mean, therefore? The epiphany is, okay, here's Jesus lying in the cradle and had the shepherds not been told by the angels who he was, they never would have come to worship him. They had to have revelation who he was, and so the first day of Epiphany is when we celebrate the wise men coming, and by their gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, they indicate that he is highest of all royalty, and also one who had been brought into the world in order to die. Therefore, with the beginning of the wise men, we begin to see who this Jesus is. Now we're talking about John the baptizer baptizing him. And so he is making Jesus known or manifested to Israel. And he's preparing the way for Jesus. Now how do you prepare the way for Jesus? Well, once you realize he's the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world, the way you prepare Jesus for his coming into a person's heart is to help them to realize that they are a sinner. And therefore, John's baptism was not a baptism for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus was bringing. It was a baptism of repentance. It's kind of like when you go to a doctor. You get prepared to go to a doctor or you are motivated to go to a doctor because you don't feel well. Something is wrong with your body. And so that's the preparation. It's not the solution. It's the preparation. And therefore, it is the diagnosis. John was sent to to diagnose the people that they were indeed needing a Savior. And that's what he's saying in verse 31. But he says, I did not know him. Well, then, how did he talk about that Jesus is the Lamb of God? Well, first of all, he talks about at his first meeting with Jesus, as he was baptizing him, he says, I saw the Spirit, and that's the Holy Spirit, descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. Now, the dove, of course, we remember from Noah's day, the end of the flood, but a dove was also a bird used uh, in temple, worship. So that indicates that Jesus now becomes the new temple of God with the Holy Spirit descending upon him. And it's not until we get to verse 33 that we discover why did John know Jesus was the Lamb of God when he himself says earlier, I did not know him. Now he knew him as a cousin, but he did not know him as the Lamb of God. And verse 33 explains it. I myself did not know him. And that's the word know, which means have a real understanding of how he was to be manifested. It's kind of like what Mary, we often will say when the angel Gabriel says you will become pregnant, she says, I do not know a man. And what she was talking about was a sexual encounter. She knew men in the sense of having been acquainted with her father and others, but and she was engaged to Joseph, so she knew him, but not in this understanding of no. It's like when we say, I know Jesus, It doesn't mean that, well, I I know that there was a man named Jesus, he was from Nazareth, Uh, he suffered, he died. No, it means I trust him. I really believe in him. So John says, I myself did not know him, and then gives the answer as to how he knew he was the Lamb of God, because He who sent me to baptize with water, now who's that? That's God the Father, said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And of course, that was John's signal that Jesus is none other then not only the Christ, which is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah, but you cannot read the Old Testament about Jesus and not come to the conclusion that he is God. And that's what John says in verse 34. And I have seen him and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. In other words, he has made it clear to people. And the idea of bearing witness is the Greek word, martyria, which is the, the word that talks about sharing the gospel. This is the Son of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. That's what verse 34 says. So we've answered our question. How did John know that this was the Lamb of God come to take away the sins of the world? Because God the Father, as he had with the prophets of old, as he had with Zachariah, as he had with Joseph, came in a vision or a dream and explained to John the baptizer, when you see the Spirit descending upon this man that you are going to be baptizing, this is the Son of God. So, the next day, verse 35, again John was standing with two of his own disciples. You see, John had disciples also. And when he looked at Jesus as he walked by, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And that word lamb, of course, is found uh, throughout the Old Testament, which is the sacrifice for the sins of the world. Jesus is the one who will be laid upon the tree and crucified for us. And he's now telling that to his two of his disciples. Now, we're going to find out that one of them was Andrew. We believe the other was probably John, the writer of this gospel. And when they heard this, they followed Jesus. Well, you can understand why they would follow Jesus. Can, can you imagine if the pastor emailed you at your church and said, Jesus is going to be our speaker today? Well, wouldn't you show up? You certainly would. But of course, that's not what is meant when Jesus is going to be the speaker because he now speaks through Christians and the pastor in giving the good news to us. When you go to a worship service, a proper one, where the word of God is taught in its purity and the sacraments administered properly, that's Jesus leading the worship. Often if I have another pastor with me prior to the service or an elder, we will have a prayer thanking that Jesus is leading the service. He's only using the voice of the pastor or the hands of the pastor to baptize with water or distribute his body and blood. But Jesus is really the priest, the high priest at the worship service. So they were able to follow Jesus. And Jesus turned and he saw them following him and he asked them, what are you seeking? This is verse 38. And they said to him, rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Now, if this had been the gospel of Matthew, Matthew wouldn't have said after the word rabbi which means teacher, because Matthew is writing to Jewish people who are well aware of what the word rabbi means. But John is writing primarily to Gentiles, and they may be unaware that the word rabbi is really the word for teacher. It can also refer to an honorable person, but it's used by Jews to address their teachers. Rabbi, where are you staying? Well, you can understand why they're asking that, because they want to hear more from this person that John the Baptizer says has come to take away the sins of the world. That's a question that every Christian should be asking. Where are you staying? And Jesus is staying definitely in a worship service. But he's also staying in your house as you open the Bible and begin to read it and meditate upon it. These are the words of Jesus throughout the entire Bible. And therefore, we go to where Jesus is. Verse 39, Jesus says to them, Come, and you will see. Now, sometimes he stayed at the house of Mary and Martha or other places, but he had no permanent housing. Anyway, they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. Now, that would refer to kind of Roman time John uses Roman time rather than Jewish time in fact if you had more if we had more time we could show that the first part of the gospel of John is kind of written like the first part of the book of Genesis in the beginning you know was the word of God and It takes more time than I have right now, but you can see six days of creation coming about. And so you have to understand that kind of chronology. So it was still early in the day, and so they were able to meet with Jesus. And verse 40, one of the two who heard John speak and follow Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Now, John, of course, refers to John the Baptizer. But there is a consensus among most scholars that he had with him John, the writer of the gospel, or also Peter, Peter because he goes and talks to Peter later on when he meets the first disciple, namely Philip, that he calls. So it's really important to understand that a number of the disciples of Jesus had been disciples of John the baptizer. So they're hearing what he has to say. And then in verse 41, we're getting back again to the brother of Andrew was none other than Simon that Jesus is talking about when he says, your name will be Peter, Petros, the rock. At any rate, he goes to his brother, Simon. And look what he says. He says, we have found the Messiah. And of course, that's the Hebrew word. And John explains it to his Gentile audience, which means Christ. So you got Hebrew and Greek in the same verse. And that word means the anointed one. And when was Jesus anointed? We believe he was anointed at the baptism of John the baptizer. In in other words, it's kind of like a pastor. He gets an anoint, uh, I'm sorry, he gets installed uh, as his anointment. First, he's ordained. For example, I was ordained in my home congregation. That meant that I was able to be a pastor. But it wasn't until I got to my first congregation that I was installed. Jesus was anointed when he became incarnate as the Son of God. He gets installed at the baptism of John the baptizer. So, the ending is very interesting. Andrew who is Simon Peter's brother, says we found the Messiah. And the next, we only look at part of verse 42. He brought him to Jesus. And that's the ending of our text. Now, from there, Jesus says, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas. Again, that is The Greek, uh, I'm sorry, the Hebrew word, and John again translates it, which is by interpretation a stone. That's what the King James says. The New American Standard, the ESV, says Peter, but that word is Petros, and Peter becomes the stone, the rock. So what we have here in this text is another manifestation of who Jesus Christ is. He's not just a babe lying in a manger. He didn't have a halo around his head. If you had been at the Bethlehem stable, there were no angels uh, above him. He was just looking like a regular human being. So that's why we have the season of Epiphany. Each Sunday, we learn more about who this Jesus is. And we particularly thank God that the wise men show him to be the king. And here we have John the baptizer showing him not only to be the Messiah, but the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sin of the world. God bless. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962.